Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. It can be easy to fall into the thinking that when I'm in charge, I'll do things differently. The thing is, you don't have to have authority to be a leader. Instead, you can exhibit leadership through influence. From choosing positivity to critical thinking skills, there are many things you can do to be a leader even when you don't have any authority. In this episode, we're talking about concepts from the book, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, Leveraging Influence When You Lack Authority by Clay Scroggins. Uh, As our April 1st episode, we do things a little bit different. So we're not exactly doing a book review, but we're going to take the middle section, kind of the meat of this book, and focus our discussion on his four behaviors of an influential leader. But uh, before we get started, we have a little bit of a surprise for you guys. We brought on uh, our guys from the Aftercast to discuss leadership with us. Both are in uh, leadership roles in their various uh, jobs. But uh, since it's April 1st, instead of doing weekly updates, we're going to let each one of them tell us a little bit about themselves uh, briefly, kind of what they do, who they are before we begin. So for those of you who Uh, don't listen to the aftercast. You can have a little idea of who else is on the call with us. So, Mike, introduce yourself and tell us who you are. Hey, I am Mike, and I discovered this podcast about, oh gosh, was it two years ago now? year and a half, something like that. I've been on the aftercast for a while. Uh, So, first-time caller, long-time fan. Been in software development for... About six or seven years, bit of a late bloomer. Started around when I was uh, six years or so after high school. Took my time getting into the field. So kind of a unique background in that aspect. I never really anticipated to get into software development. I took classes during the summer, my first programming class, on a whim, and then just fell in love with it from there. So changed my degree and everything, uh, and here I am now. Uh, primarily nowadays, I'm working on Java, Spring Boot, Angular, front-end, kind of full stack, and leading the way into AWS and the cloud journey at the current company I'm at now. So that's exciting, challenging. been working through a lot of new technologies and new ways of trying to strategize development efforts, been getting into a lot of uh, domain-driven design lately is my newest uh, addiction for learning how to do things. Kind of kind of starting to sort of get it, maybe, we'll see. <laughs> but just been doing that, a lot of reading lately. I recommend The Phoenix Project for anyone who hasn't read it. That's my current book, Outside of Work and things like that. I like uh, Aikido, longtime martial arts fan, and video games. You'll fit in well here. all right chris how about you sure Uh, my name is chris i'm a software developer and a business owner we develop sell and support school administration software in the state of new jersey i've been in business for 22 years and a professional developer for 27 years so been around a little bit i work primarily in java and, and oracle so so will do you uh do you have anything for us this week just to catch us up what, like updates? Not really. Brief, brief update. I mean, we did just have an episode come out the day before this one comes out, so probably not a lot, though we are recording a week later. Yeah, I I really don't. Uh, I don't have a very eventful life, to be honest. <laughs> so I'll just pass that on to you. All right, that's fine. I also wanted to get your voice on here associated with your name for any new listeners who uh, may not have heard your voice in the past. Yeah. So, uh, guys, I am BJ or Beej. Let's see. Update for, uh, for this week. Uh, well, hey, right before this, uh, this episode, uh, before we hopped on the call, 
I had a nice knock on the door. It was FedEx delivering my brand new Canon EOS 5D Mark IV camera. Super nice, you know, camera that I saved up for several months to buy. So yeah, very, very excited to uh, to actually physically hold that. Um, the battery is charging because y'all know as soon as we're done recording this, I'm going to go take some photos just because, I mean, just because. So <laughs> Nice. Are you going to hook this one up for your uh, laptop as well <laughs> for, for the recordings? Probably not just because I'm not sure how that will how that setup will work and I'm going to be using it for so many other things I probably won't have the time to charge the battery for it for that so cuz I don't yeah, have that would a, be kind of what, annoying to switch them back and forth anyways yeah yeah <laughs> saving money is hard especially if you lack the authority to make your own financial decisions Lucas Casadas is a fee only certified financial planner He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado, and he will work with you and the other decision maker in your household, your your spouse or significant other, if you don't have full authority. And just like us here at Complete Developer Podcast, his focus is on helping you to not only establish a real plan for your financial life, but also to take action so that you can live that plan. Well, guys, investing in financial planning services really comes down to whether or not you can improve your finances. With the help of Level Up, the compounding impact of making better financial decisions will easily pay for itself. Level Up also has a unique pricing model that will help you no matter where you are in your financial journey. And what's really great is Lucas is a fiduciary for his clients. And that basically means he's not here to sell you a product but to help guide you to a better financial situation. And you can catch his podcast, Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp, where he covers financial topics that you probably face. There, he also interviews other IT professionals who share how they navigated their own careers. He also has even more material at levelupfinancialplanning.com. The dictionary defines autonomy as the right or condition of self-government. It's one of the pillars of motivation essential to a healthy work environment. Autonomy is the ability to make decisions and have a say in the way things are going. It doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want because ultimately you are accountable to someone. A lot of times we think, well, if I were in charge or for the more ambitious, when I'm in charge, I'll have the ability to do things the way I want to do them. There's an idea that when we are in charge, we're completely autonomous. But there's a lot of misunderstanding about what it means to be autonomous and what it means to have authority. So what do you think of when you hear the word authority? The dictionary defines it as the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. Having authority certainly helps with leadership, but it is not necessary to be effective or good at leading others. You don't even have to be in a leadership role to be a leader. Even if you have no desire to have authority or to be in management, you can still be a leader. The phrase, respect the position, even if you don't respect the person, references positional authority. It has to do with the power of a certain title or position, not the ability of the person in that position to lead. Influence, on the other hand, is the ability to inspire confidence in others. You don't have to be in a position of authority to be influential. Influence is respecting the person, even if they don't have the position. In this episode, we're going to discuss the concept of leading with influence instead of with authority. These are all taken from the book, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, Leveraging Influence When You Lack Authority. In the book, Author Clay Scroggins defines four behaviors that will help you become a leader uh, even when you're not the person that is in charge. For each one, we'll discuss what that behavior is and then talk about practical ways that you can gain that behavior. Yeah, so this originated as a talk that I put together. I read the book for work and put together a a talk to give to, um, we have brunch and learns. Instead of lunch and learns, 
their brunch time. So it, it originated as that, and I took that material and uh, modified it from the PowerPoint presentation to be an outline for, for the podcast. Now, in the aftercast, we'll look at challenging authority, the third section of his book, and some easily applicable steps you can take when you have to challenge the decisions made by those in charge. So the first behavior that we're going to talk about is self-leadership. And a quote directly from the book is, everyone leads something, even if it's just you. If you aren't leading yourself, then you're subject to whatever emotional state you are in. And that can be influenced by your circumstances or the people around you. We've all had bad bosses or bad leaders. If you haven't yet, eventually you'll have one. Just wait. Not only are they a good example of what not to do, but they can be a great opportunity for self-leadership. So you have four areas where you have control. This is the what of the situation. You control your actions and your attitude. Your boss may control the consequences of your actions, but you can choose if those are worth it. Yeah. When, uh, I guess I was a junior developer at the time, uh, where I was working, they implemented work from home four days a week. But they said, if your team failed a sprint, then the whole team had to come into the office. It was basically used as punishment. Uh, even though they kept saying, it's not punishment, it's to make you work more efficient. It's like, no, that's punishment, y'all. That's like literally the, the definition of punishment. So the other developer on the team and I, we had a, a QA who wasn't the best, didn't stay for very long, but we worked extremely hard, like overworked. We're getting to the point of being burnt out because of how hard we were working to avoid coming into the office. And uh, I remember one day, he uh, he didn't live too far away from me, so we got together for lunch one day, and we were talking about it because we were both burnt out. And we just said, hey, you know, we're going to do our job and because like, something has to change. And if we fail the sprint because our QA messes up, I would rather go into the office for a two-week sprint then be up to one o'clock every night working. Like, it's just, it's not worth it. And we, we both agreed to that. And of course, by the time we agreed to that, uh, someone else on a different team had talked to management and they changed the rule. But <laughs> there, was, there was definitely that. So you control whether you respond to or react to situations. When you react to a situation, you do so without control, letting your emotions run you. Responding, however, is tempered and planned. Yeah, like emotions, they're feelings. They're, they're things that come over us. They're experiences that we have. And you, you have the option to either let your emotions control you or to choose how you behave. Yeah, and that doesn't mean that you don't feel the emotion, right? No, it just right. means that it isn't, you know, it's not, it's not your rudder. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't control you. You control it. I know when I was... Uh, you guys remember the the breakup episode when I was going through that? A very good friend of mine. He actually sent me a text right as we were starting this uh, this episode. He pulled me aside because I was letting my emotions kind of like control me, and he was like, "Dude, you have to make the choice. Like, are you going to be controlled by your emotions, or are you going to control your emotions?" And like that was just like I needed that. I needed that that kind of kind friend to pull me aside and say that to me. But this is something that as leaders, especially leaders with, you know, influential leaders, self-leadership is that choosing how you respond and how you react, I guess, you know, choosing to respond instead of react. As an employee, I never liked the managers that would yell first, and then talk later. Yeah. Because then their first reaction, you would just ignore because you'd know they'd come around. And then as I had people working under me, I took that negative experience and turned it to a positive. And just, if you raise your voice, you got to take a step back. At least I do take a step back and reapproach it. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is something to be said too. Sometimes you, 
you sit back and you plan and you realize that the emotional reaction, while you don't want to react emotionally, it is pointing to what you really need to do anyway. Right. Like if you're at the point, well, if they do that, I'm going to quit my job. You know, if you're feeling that way, maybe that's what you should do. You just don't rage quit. Yeah. Actually, there is an entire section in, I believe it is in the self leadership chapter on what to do if you like, if you want to quit. I, I incorporated some of those into the next point too. Uh, but yeah, like the, this episode is going to be a big promo for this book because it's a really good book. But uh, yeah, it like there's a lot of good material in there. Uh, and it does talk about, hey, you know, how do you know when it's time to quit and when you really should? Because sometimes, like, I know Will and I have had this discussion on the podcast. You know, it's important to know when it's time to quit. Yeah. And you might, you know, have that feeling of wanting to quit. And really, that's just that longing for something better than where you are now. Right. So, in addition, um, you know, one of the few things that we can control is our own desires and ambitions. Ambition for something better is what got a lot of us to where we are now. In leading yourself, you need to take ownership if your own ambition and not wait on others to guide you towards the goals you want. Instead, start working toward them now. Yeah, the thing is, is you control the small choices that you make every day. And self-leadership is being disciplined in the small things, you know, in the day-to-day stuff that you, you know, you have to get done or that's, you know, kind of repetitive because the mundane is actually what makes things happen. It's stuff like being on time. It's following through with commitments. It's being, you know, honest with your commitments, you know, not committing and then halfway doing it because you're, you know, not paying attention or you're doing 1500 other things, you know, it's stuff like, you know, doing a plural site course or reading a book. You know, I've got a good friend that does this. He tries to go through a plural site course every week or two. I think it's actually every week now on different technology, uh, which is probably a little bit overcommitted, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's working out pretty well for him. Uh, but the point is, is that the small choices that you make when nobody else is looking are what shapes your future and how you're going to behave and how you get perceived by other people. So now we're going to look at some principles of self-leadership. And this is sort of the how. And this is how the rest of the, the outline is going to go for each of the points. We're going to talk about the what and then the how for each one. So. The first principle is to model followership. And you do that by showing others around you how to be a good follower. They will see how you respond to a bad boss or how you handle tough deadlines and begin to see you as a leader. Something that like we don't really think a lot about, but is true is that moral authority is much more important than positional authority. You know, a, a big thing that you want to do here is disagree with leadership in private and support them in public. Um, this is just good good team management. Like you might argue and back and forth and debate on your team when it's a team meeting, but when you go to your sh- uh, shareholders or PO even and stuff like that, you come unified. Even if you disagree with the decision that was made, you come in unified because that is that is leadership. Being a good follower is being a good leader. Yeah, I was on the um, the wrong side of this one a couple weeks back in a meeting. You know, what once a week we will have uh, you know business join our our daily meeting, and there was something that came up between another developer and I. And, you know, we felt very differently about, uh, you know, something differing opinion or we didn't quite agree or had a misunderstanding and, you know, reflecting back on it, it just wasn't the time or the place to have that kind of back and forth, you know, disagreement in front of uh, the business rather than showing like a unified front and then discussing in private later. So, yeah, I, I felt this one the other day, but, you know, overall it was a good lesson learned. Yeah, it's a hard lesson, too. I mean, like, because you're, you feel like you're signing off on something that's incorrect. Yeah. When you do this and, and like you have a resistance to, to doing that. And, you know, there's places where you do actually have to push back, but you know, on a lot of technical issues, we, we overblow how important they are um, as far as what management's concerned with. 
You should also drop your expectations about how things should be and focus on the reality of your situation as it is. Expectations will ruin your attitude and relationships. When you focus on how things should be and and avoid seeing where they actually are, what you end up doing is you just complain. You don't influence and you don't create change. You just kind of wallow in the mud where you are. Mm-hmm. How many times have we seen it with the with the developer launchpad group? It, it's a common thing you see with a lot of very intelligent junior developers. Is yeah. the smarter they are, the harder it is on them. Honestly. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is because they know what they're trying to do and they're knowing what it should do, but they can't wrap their brain around. Hey, it's it's not doing what it's supposed to do. It's not doing what, you know, and I can't tell you how many times we, we've had to help people and go, all right, well, what is it doing? Because they're so focused on what it's not doing or what it's supposed to be doing that they're not looking at, hey, where where are we? Because we need to know where we are so that we know how to get to where you want to be. Yeah, and you can do the same thing in a job where you're like, oh, I should get promoted and get a raise. And it's like, you know, you work 60 hours a week and you've got a raise that's half of what inflation is, which probably, you know, half the people out there got here recently. When inflation is what, like 9%? Yeah. But, you know, like you go, well, if I just work harder, it's like, well, maybe, you know, maybe you're not, it's not that you're not doing it right. It's that you're not doing it in the right place or you're, you're thinking that overwork is the fix versus, you know, figuring out how to reduce work. And the, the, the key here for this, like, principle is seeing where you are now so monitor your motives and behavior through constantly checking your own motives behind what you are doing or thinking avoid reacting to emotions but instead respond with planned out behavior this goes beyond just public behaviors but monitoring your personal emotions and private behaviors because those will seep out that's that's very important because especially the private behaviors a lot of people think oh yeah i can I can put on a good front uh, in the meetings or in person, but then behind the scenes, they're doing all these things. They're complaining. They're they're not following these. And that's going to get out. People are going to see through that. You're going to look fake. Uh, to really be an influential leader and to really lead yourself, you have to be authentic with it. And you have to do it in the public times and the private times. Go all in, especially when you feel like giving up. Completely commit for a set time to show your own commitment. If no one would be surprised by you finding a new job, then you are not all in. This is a behavior that people notice more than the others. Yeah, I find this to actually be fairly helpful when I'm, you know, really, you know, kind of drowning, right? Like I've I've recently had this with, you know, learning a foreign language. There's a political situation going on that everybody knows about and it really saps you. And so I've actually doubled down on the amount of study time that I'm doing rather than quitting. What's interesting about this is it actually tends to get you through the worst of it. Whereas if you go, okay, I'm going to back off because I don't feel good about this or, you know, I just, I feel down in the dumps, like you'll back off again. Oh yeah. No, no, absolutely. Like when I'm stuck on something um on my guitar, I will I will sit and just spend hours. Now sometimes there's something to be said about stepping away for a little bit, but what's funny though is it's gotten to the point where if I'm having a rough day, I'll just grab my guitar and just, you know, pick a something I'm gonna be playing uh coming up or something like that, something I need to work on and just go over and over. You know, I was having a rough day not too long ago and I've been working on my staying in rhythm. So I put the metronome on. It's a wind-up uh, mechanical one. I guess about 15 minutes or so. And I just played the whole thing. 15 minutes, four chords, just over and over. I'd, I'd mix up the rhythm a little bit, but staying in rhythm while mixing up, you know, the strumming pattern. That was... Actually, that was a lot of fun. I might do that after we do, uh, after I take some photos. <laughs> yeah, this one, I, I, I feel this one a lot. I, I relate to this for like going to class, like going to the dojo and making it, you know, if, if I'm feeling a little bit lazy one week and I'm like, well, I'm not going to go. And then 
it becomes a little bit easier to make that same decision the next time, you know, if things are getting kind of rough and you, and you let it slip, then all of a sudden, before you know it, without even realizing it becomes a habit. And then it's just like a habit to not do what you're committed to. I know if I miss a day of doing something, I get super mad at myself and I'll like double down on it. So if I, you know, if I don't do my elliptical in the morning, one day I'll do it in the morning, in the afternoon, the next day to kind of like, it sounds like self-punishment, but it's really to make sure I get back on track. And it really is the go all in mentality. And, you know, this kind of, you know, brings to light the importance of actually having a plan. You need to be intentional about leading yourself because it will not happen by accident. You know, you got to start with where you currently are now and then look to where you want to go, map out what will get you from here to there, uh, and start actually developing the discipline and personal accountability to get there. One thing that I actually saw in a video today that John Sanmez was talking about, he was like, I know that bad John will screw up at some point in the future, and I have to plan for that. I have to treat, you know, go, okay, this is an obstacle that is coming. I know it's coming. And I have a long-term plan for getting past that. Yeah. And I thought that was just really, uh, really timely. That makes sense. I like that. That is good. That is good. So the uh, next behavior that we're going to talk about is choosing positivity. This really is the crux of all of the four behaviors we're going to discuss. It's in here second because once you start leading yourself, you can now choose to be positive, uh, which will make leading yourself and others a lot easier. There is a difference between joy and happiness. And I think we discussed this in a previous episode not long ago, but happiness is based on the root word hap, meaning circumstantial or what is happening. Uh, whereas joy is a choice to be positive even in bad situations. Like when I was talking earlier in the episode about going through the that breakup, that friend, he pulled me aside and said, you know, you have to choose joy. Like that was the, the term he used was choose joy. You know, you can you can mope around here all you want, but you're not going to get any better until you choose joy. And it's not going to be easy, especially going through stuff like that. It's not going to be easy at first. But the more you do it, the easier it gets. And he was right. He was absolutely right. So I, we need to talk about what it actually means to choose positivity. Perspective is everything when it comes to leading through influence. Um, not as much uh, how others perceive you, but how you perceive the world. This has less to do with objective reality and more to do with your approach to the, that reality. You can see something as overwhelmingly difficult or fun as a challenge. And, you know, I think, you know, you and I both kind of, that's sort of the way we start to look at those kind of things. And it's completely changed our lives since we started doing that. It, it really has. And like people noticed, like I literally won the attitude award on our worship team for, for that, because of that perspective, like literally when they, when they were announcing it, they said, yeah, this is, this is someone who. You know, when you present them with something really hard, really difficult, they go, all right, I don't know how to do that, but I'll figure it out and it'll be a fun challenge. And it's that it is that perspective that makes that difference. I think the attitude award might be a little, might be perceived differently in my organization. <laughs> but for, for what it's worth though, but uh, yeah, that perspective is huge. I look at the bugging like that. Whenever I hear someone saying they got a bug that they can't figure out, I'm all over it. I love that. That that challenge of getting in there and doing, you know, the impossible is just so alluring to me. Broaden your view to see the world through a panoptic lens. The more of the big picture you're able to see, the better you're able to understand your role in the whole process. When you know what the company is trying to do or what your customers are trying to do, then you are better able to build and create solutions for them. This also puts your own world into perspective when you see how it fits into the bigger picture. Does your new camera have a panoptic lens? <laughs> Not yet. I have to, it's uh I have to buy uh buy some new lenses too. Those are also very expensive. So nice. one thing at a time. Camera's like a house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but everybody people feel better when they know where their place is in the world, you know, when they've got a purpose. 
if you're just going to work every day and, and writing code and then coming home, it is very, very hard to maintain any kind of motivation just doing that, right? Like you're doing it for some reason. You're helping, you know, create some app or you're doing it for your family or something versus, yeah, I got to do this to eat that, you know, that doesn't get you very far unless you're starving then you'll go quite a long ways for it. I would also say, um, you know, it's good to have an adjustable lens in general. Sometimes it can be useful to zoom out and, you know, look at the broader view, but sometimes the broader view can be a little bit overwhelming and cause the negative feelings and emotions or feeling like something is too, too stuck or, you know, impossible, but zooming in sometimes to like the current task, maybe even the current moment, um, down to as far as you need to is what's right in front of your nose right now today can can you know put you back on track towards that positive energy and that positive thinking yeah that would helped me a lot the last couple of weeks yes <laughs> along those same lines how you see the future influences how you're going to lead you know if you have an outlook of despair it's going to consume you with the current situation that you're in so that you can't break free and move forward. If all you can see is the overwhelming task, the overwhelming big picture around you, then yeah, you have to basically in this situation, find what motivates you so that you can maintain a drive and passion that will influence others. Cause that's really like what influence boils down to is bringing people along into your drive and passion. Yeah, if you have a negative outlook, your team's not going to be too uh, positive either. Positivity is a character trait that can be developed. Character, however, is developed through difficult decisions and difficult times. A forward-thinking person can push through anything that gets in the way of their goals. That is so true. And Will and I have both seen and experienced this. I mean, we have a friend down in Florida who... uh, his mom passed away. He and his wife took mandatory or not mandatory voluntary layoffs during the um, recession in what oh eight was around that time. Yeah, that yeah, it's been that long. Yeah, and they moved down there to help take care of his dad. They both had really good jobs, and they went down there had nothing. And I just remember talking to him on the phone, and he would be like, "All right, well, I'm going to go do this." And he'd be studying up on it, all into it. I call him like a week later and he didn't get the job. And he didn't even like, I had to ask him about the job because he kept talking about the new thing, the next thing that he was going for. Like it did not deter him at all. And now he deals with IT security. So he has new things all the time. (laughs) They get delivered. Uh huh. He doesn't have to to hunt. He's farming. Mm Exactly. I love people with that kind of outlook. It's so oh, yeah. refreshing to be around. Yeah, it really is. You know, as a leader, it's really easy to buy into something when you've been able to have a say in it. However, it's really difficult to be positive when you haven't had a say in it. But, you know, positivity is attractive and being positive in these types of situations attracts people to actually follow your leadership, which also helps build your leadership up to the point where you do have an input. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to get too deep into it in the episode. We'll talk a little bit about it in the aftercast, but uh, you build enough influence, you can actually start leading your leaders. And that's sort of what we're going to talk about in the aftercast with uh, challenging authority. Every good leader has a, a good counselor. That's true. So now let's talk about the traits of a positive leader. There is energy in your attitude. A consistent day in, day out, positive attitude, even in the difficult times, will change the team's dynamic. Just like a bad attitude will bring a team down, a positive one will lift the team up. And people notice who does the lifting and who does the lowering. lowering. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Positive leaders remain humble towards the people that are in authority. As you start to see and leverage your own influence, it's crucial to stay humble to the people who actually do have the authority. Um, you know, People are going to be looking to you for guidance, and if you let yourself get arrogant, they will lose the respect that built your influence, and you'll probably run afoul of the people above you. 
Yep. I have seen and done that one. Yep. I think uh, most of us on here have done that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Without a doubt, I've been on both ends of that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I wasn't one to admit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the panoptic view changes your perspective so that you build unity with your coworkers. Not just the coworkers on your team, but across departments as well. The panoptic leader will build unity with operations or even with the, gasp, sales and marketing team. When the people around you most see how you are able to interact with the people who frustrate them, they will look to you for guidance. Yeah, you you will become, and being the go-to person is always the best, but you will become the person that they ask, hey, you, you have a good relationship with, with them. How did you do it? How do you get them to do this for you? The trick is for not becoming the go-to person is not doing that. Like if someone says, oh, hey, you have a good relationship with operations. Can you get them to do this for me? You go, "Uh, no, I can't get them to do that for you, but I can tell you how to get them to do it for yourself. Like I can tell you how to do that. That's how you gain influence. Yeah, because if you're the go-to on all those things, everybody goes to you and you can't get anything done other than other people's work. Yeah. Uh, I've done that one more than once. I still do that more than I should. Definitely. Yeah, it's kind of like the whole, you know, Jedi mind trick of getting people to want to do what you want them to do versus trying to just get them to do what you want them to do. Yeah. Almost like they they think it was their idea, maybe, even yeah. if you're really good at it. <laughs> That's That is leveraging influence right there, is getting people to want to do what you want them to do without having to tell them to do it. Mm-hmm. Just plant the seeds in her head. So the next thing to talk about is critical thinking. Positivity will go a long way, but alone it's not going to win the influence of your peers and set you apart as a leader. Positivity by itself is actually dangerous if not combined with the realism that comes from critical thinking. This skill balances the rainbow puking unicorn of over-positivity with a healthy dose of reality. Salespeople. Yeah. yeah. Or yes, well, I did uh I did set that up so you would get to read that. I book. thought you might have, yeah. <laughs> um yeah. Well, it's not just salespeople, right? Like if you get a you know, say a mid-level dev, you're like, oh, you could, you know, like uh, we've we've looked at uh external providers for email, like every place I've ever worked, we've looked at that, right? And there's always that one guy that's like, Well, I've done some IT stuff. We could run our own server, our own email thing. We don't have to outsource this, right? That guy, he may be, he may have a great deal of positivity, but he's wrong. Never host your own email. No, (laughs) says the guy who used to want to build everything himself. Yeah. Well, and there's still some things I will. Yeah, yeah, you've gotten a lot better about that, but yeah, yeah. I never wanted to build an email server for myself. Let's just clear that one up. Okay, okay, that's that's true. That's I might true. I might have stepped on every rake in the yard, but I skipped that one. Yep, yep. All right, so let's uh, let's talk about what is critical thinking or define it. Critical thinking is a skill, and that can be developed. Uh, it kind of sits in the balance between overly positive acceptance of everything and overly cynical, bitter frustration. Developing this skill will help you to navigate the difficult times when positivity alone just doesn't quite cut it. You know, it's, it's the balance for it. You know, everything in, in moderation and in balance, and this is the, the counterbalance to leading with influence for positivity. You have, you have to be positive, but you also have to be kind of realistic. Critical thinking think through what you're going to do and what you're going to say. We talked about that in self-leadership too. Critical thinkers are on the lookout for ways to improve themselves, their team, their company, and others around them. Leaders ask questions about their environment, not just the task at hand, but also the people with whom they will be working. Right, cuz like if you're if you're getting told, okay, you're you're getting a new team for this task, you don't know the people you know, you're going to have to start, you know, assessing strengths and weaknesses, you know, opportunities, threats. You're going to have to look and go, okay, is this person positive or are they negative? Are they going to interact, you know, badly with this other person that's on the team or with me or with the technology we're using? 
and you know you can't just you know you you can't just like prance through it and act like it's all going to be okay just because you want it to be like you kind of have to be in a position where you can sort of evaluate that critical thinkers notice things others do not see being observant is a key to critical thinking as a leader as it allows for better understanding of cause effect relationships yeah this is something that is very important for for being a leader either with or without authority but especially when you're when you're an influential leader and not an authoritarian leader you've got to be able to notice things and see things that others don't see and that's where your critical thinking comes in critical thinkers connect the dots when other people don't see a pattern they're able to identify the connection between feelings and behaviors in the people around them both to see the effects of the feelings, but also to see the behaviors that affect the feelings. So, you know, you might have a coworker. In fact, I've, I've had one like this that March Madness came around. That dude was making mistakes left and right. Like you had to check behind him, period. Every single time. Because he was, you know, he, he was not, he didn't have his head in the game. Well, he had his head in the game. It just wasn't, the game we were yeah, it wasn't the right game. <laughs> His bracket was killer, man. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, like when you kind of had to almost watch because if his team lost, especially dude, he, you know, like he'll drop a production database. I mean, just doing stuff that you're like, how did you, how did you get there? And, you know, people weren't really tying it to anything because the rest of the time he was kind of sort of okay. But it was when he got distracted by certain things it was just like it was it was like triggers for him and you'll see that with with a lot of people in the workplace like some of the nicest people you know will all of a sudden just get explosively angry because some topic was brought up in a meeting that you know you don't you think it's innocuous but they don't and you'll start to notice that over time with a team it's really really worth paying attention to so now we're going to dive into some skills that uh can help you to develop critical thinking. The first one is probably the most important here, and that is to think like an owner instead of an employee, as the business owner shakes his head, yes. That's pretty easy to do. (laughs) Yeah. Owners care more about what they're doing because their livelihood depends on it. When you're working on a project, you want to take ownership and treat that project like you own the company. This is a it's a subtle shift in thinking that has the biggest impact on your critical thinking skills. Yeah, can we add a little bit of clarity here? Uh, that doesn't mean that you work yourself to death like you own the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, what that means is, is you go, hey, this product does, you know, this thing that we're doing right here does this, but you know, if we did this other thing, we, you know, get some huge financial benefit from it, and then taking that to management. Or, you know, identifying risks or, you know, those kind of things is, is really the value here. It, you know, instead of going, here's the mechanical thing of, of what I'm trying to build with code, you go, all right, how does that fit into the larger business picture? And does it still make sense? Is there something I can bring to the table here that makes it more valuable? So you have a little bit of a panoptic view. Yeah. <laughs> th- this is, a, you know, a really good reason to, you know, as a company... I think it's important to have that culture of experimentation and having the ability to even, you know, experiment or do something because a junior developer could have a, a great idea for business. But if it takes them, you know, four weeks to set up a, a test server or, or they don't lack permissions to, you know, or if they do lack permissions to, to get something done or they can't even experiment with those types of ideas, then, you know, they could just be dead in the water before they even saw the light of day. Oh, yeah. I, I can tell you, uh, when I was a junior, I got, I think I've told this story before, but I got passed up for promotion. And like the official reason was the person had been there for a month longer than me. But, and I'm, you know, when I was told kind of like, hey, you know, it's it's this and that, and, you know, plus here's some ways you can improve. I was like, oh, well, yeah, that that's true. And one of the big things was not complaining. And taking that ownership. And I started doing that and I started making like people noticed. So the next time the opportunity came up, people saw that difference. Coworkers and management saw it. 
A scheduled downtime instead of stacking meetings may seem like an efficient, good idea to get all the meetings out of the way. This doesn't allow time for one meeting to process before the next one starts. The biggest enemy of critical thinking is an overcrowded schedule. Yeah, this is this is a big one for probably all four of us on this call. Yeah, yeah. I would not be surprised. Uh, we're we're all uh, not great at it. I know I, I try to, uh, and a lot of times you you don't have control over certain things. Yeah, I mean, I would almost say the other thing about not stacking meetings is that a lot of times when you're in a culture where there are a lot of meetings, the culture allows meetings to run over as well, and so if you stack them. You know, the first dude that has poor time management hoses your entire day. And that hosing will be obvious, but what hosed it won't be. And so, like, that makes people rely on you less. One of the things that he he talked about in the book was how he would try to get all of his meetings done, like, all in the morning or all in the afternoon. Just get it, put them all together like that, back to back. And what ended up happening is he was going from one meeting to the next and he was still processing information from the first meeting in his third meeting of the day. So that that third fourth meeting he's like I didn't get anything out of because I'm still processing what I heard, you know, 2 hours ago because I never really sat down and thought through it. Yeah, it could have I mean, the inverse effect as well. So if you had a little bit of prep work, you weren't quite ready for your next meeting, you might kind of mentally doze off and start, uh, you know, focusing on your next meeting before the current one is even over. Yeah, uh, as well. <laughs> I am guilty of that one. Well, and that also brings up how valuable it is to take good notes, right? So that you can kind of core dump all that stuff out, so that you're not thinking about it in the next meeting. Um, but yeah, that's neither here nor there, I guess. So you want to think critically instead of being critical. When you start to think critically, it's easy to fall into the trap of becoming critical. This is why choosing to stay positive is before this in the order of leading by influence. Critical leaders don't want to see others succeed because it doesn't make them look good, whereas critical thinking leaders want to see others succeed because they know when others do well, it reflects on everyone. Yeah. And this is this is something that you see a lot of times with people who don't have any experience in leadership, like the first time they're given authority, they they tend to do that. Um, it's it is sort of a pitfall to avoid with uh, critical thinking because it's very easy to get into that starting to be critical of everything rather than critical of the situation. You start to become critical of people, and that's why that's why positivity is important. It's there they balance each other out here. Right. And, you know, this bit that talks about, you know, critical leaders not wanting to see others succeed because it might, you know, doesn't make them look good personally. But uh, they, you know, they could also fall into the trap of being overly critical because they don't want their team to fail because it makes them look bad as well. I think there's, there's a bit of a balance between those two reasons as well there. You should help out instead of evaluating others on their performance. Um, as you start to think more critically, you'll make observations. And if you're not careful, you may come across as being judgmental or giving other people a grade. Um, I know kind of early on in my career, I did this a few times when I was in a position to help somebody else. Um, and it, it's hard to catch that in your tone, but you're, you're going to want to do that. So instead, when you see an issue, present a solution along with the problem. Uh, it may not be a good solution, but it will move the focus from your raising of the issue to actually having some kind of fix. Yeah, that's this is a really key thing is, you know, when when you do see something either in a peer in in another area of leadership, we'll talk about that in uh, challenging up. But you always want to go in with the solution. You never go in with just the problem because going in with just the problem is being critical. Going in with the solution. That is, hey, I'm I'm here to work with you to to find the the best way to do this. You don't even have to go in with a good solution. Like, real, really, I, I have gone in. I've seen a problem. I've gone in and like, hey, here's an idea. It's probably not the best one because I don't know the full situation. But I noticed this problem and I I thought of this potential way to fix it. 
And of course, as soon as I, I point out the problem, they're like, oh, didn't realize that was a problem. We got this other solution that's like way better than mine. And that that happens a lot of times. I don't even notice it's a it's a problem. Remove emotionality from your conversations. If you're not able to discuss a topic without becoming emotional, then you are not ready to have the conversation. Obviously, this does not apply to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> and it also yes, proves that. that your coworkers are not your therapist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you're wanting to lead, you you definitely cannot like lean on coworkers for that kind of emotional support. That's why you have friends. That's why you have relationships outside of work. And that's why you have a therapist. Maybe. I don't know. Some people don't have therapists. Some people do. We kind of talked about this earlier on the episode, but, you know, if you come into a conversation charged, it's not going to end well. You know, I would take a step back yeah. and think about it and, and go into it. And it's funny for someone that lacks emotion, emotion in a conversation, I'm your guy. <laughs> you know, I come in as neutral as possible and as positive as possible. But if someone comes in like, I can't believe it's broken, you know, and it will steal yeah. from another. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not going to be a fun conversation for anyone and most likely nothing will be solved. Yeah. The only, sometimes you get stuck and this is, this is a tricky one is if you don't have time to cool down for whatever reason, you've got to deal with the situation right now. If you do, then you need to, you know, you, one of the easiest things you can do to help that is you actually acknowledge, Hey, look, this is how this is making me feel. You know, I know that that's not entirely rational. Like let's, Let's see if we can process this. Yeah. I'll, if you set expectations and you go in with, hey, because I've, I've had that where I've had to have a conversation and I, and I hadn't had a chance to cool down. It's like, hey, I'm a bit frustrated right now. A lot of times it's when I'm, you know, recording call a guest. <laughs> well, I was going to say <laughs> calling, calling somebody because like something is broken or not working like the internet. I'll just tell them up front, hey, I'm a bit frustrated right now. And then if you lose your cool a little bit, they're more forgiving because you said up front, hey, I'm frustrated. And they're so much more friendly and willing to work with you when you do that. It's it's amazing how just like that little bit right there, it kind of, it sets the tone of, hey, I'm respecting you enough to say I'm upset and I know it's not your fault. And so that just sets that that tone. Even just that takes a little edge off of you too, which is nice. It does. Mm-hmm. It does. All right, guys. So the uh, final behavior we're going to talk about is avoiding passivity. We talked about being, you know, taking ownership. Owners have a sense of control in the work they do. When we don't have authority, we can feel a lack of control over our work, future plans, and even our lives. This lack of control makes it easy to fall into the passivity of subordination, where we rely on others to tell us when, what, and how to act. Lack of control causes us to be reactive, which perpetuates passivity, which in turn causes us to feel stuck as if we have no control. It's really a vicious cycle. Yeah, it's it's interesting how that works, too, because you end up uh, essentially asserting your own lack of control by mm-hmm. doing that. So to understand passivity, I have so much trouble with that word. <laughs> Just so you know, passiveness. To understand passiveness in yourself. Lack of control leads to a passivity of action or a passivity of subordination. When you don't feel in charge, it's easy and common to only do what's necessary to get by instead of stepping up and looking for ways to take responsibility. Mm-hmm. That's that's sort of what we mean, like by avoiding passivity. It's like doing just enough to get by and doing just what you're told to do. This one is seems very related to the earlier point about, you know, when things get hard, doubling down uh, on your efforts or your positivity or whatever, instead of, because the passive passivity <laughs> is the transition into just not caring or just, you know, throwing your hands up and being like, well, okay, whatever. Yeah. So, It comes from a fear of failure and a lack of risk-taking. When you're always waiting to be told what to do, then you never really learn to take risks or how to handle failures. Uh, I know I see this a lot with junior developers. Um, It's like, all right, you just got to go out there and like break it, fail a few times because that's how you're going to learn. Leaders 
need to know how and when to take risks. And the only way that you learn that is by doing it and failing. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add that you see this, this passiveness a lot of times in, you know, either senior devs or like mid-level management, like somebody that got to a certain point and they peaked and then something happened and they never, you know, they never got back the attitude of, of fixing things. And I, those are the saddest cases. I know people that have basically been stuck at the same level for 20 years because of that. They just do what's required and then they go home. No, I know several people like that. A season of waiting doesn't mean a season of passivity. Just because you may not be in a leadership role or have responsibility now doesn't mean that you should be passive. Yeah. So like if you're, if you're going, Hey, I'm next up on the, you know, potential candidates for a move into management. Well, right now, what you need to be doing is you need to be preparing the skills and becoming the kind of person that you would have to be to be a good manager because you don't want to try to start developing that on day one. Yeah. You know, and it is going to force you into a mindset that creates growth versus one that leaves you stagnant. That's very key. Yeah. If you, if you are a leadership and you're sort of leading the way forward and you have a team behind you, you look behind you to who am I going to pass this torch to? It's probably going to be the one who, who's up front already doing things, even if it's not necessarily their, their responsibility. Um, you know, so don't wait to be given that responsibility, right? You'll, you'll never receive it uh, because you have not shown that you can handle the responsibility. You need to take it on yourself before you are given the responsibility. Yeah, I had this when I was sort of, uh, we don't have mid and senior levels. It's sort of combined. But I was at more the, the mid area. Knowing that I did want to move up to uh, to a lead position, but it was going to be a few years. I uh, started taking over. I started looking for things I'm like, all right, what what can I do? What's not being done? What areas can I can I help out? And starting that ended up leading to a big, massive project that uh, I was leading as a mid to senior developer. Just because I, I got to working with the architect on fixing a few bugs in it, in our file management system, and then ended up being the main developer rewriting the whole thing with the team under me. And I'm like, I am the I'm the most junior person on this team, and I'm leading it. <laughs> I've been there, yeah. Like if you're taking those those duties on, the person that gets promoted, like they're taking a risk if they promote somebody else, right? And it could knock them out of where they're trying to get. So like, yeah, they're going to take a safe decision. So it totally makes sense. So having said all of that, let's look at a few steps to help you become active. And uh, the first thing is do like I did, choose something to be yours. You know, find problems that no one wants to solve and make them your own. You'll see things that, you know, leads and managers don't see because you're there in the weeds day in, day out. Find something that needs to change and take ownership of it. Even a junior developer can do that. That point is so crucial. I mean, that's kind of how I built most of my career out, looking for the thing that no one's good at and becoming good at it. You know, yeah. making a need for yourself and stepping in and inadvertently um, showing leadership in that. Well, I mean, like economies run on price signals and workplaces run on demand signals. And that's finding a demand signal, right? Like this thing is needed. Nobody's doing it. There's a demand. I'll put myself there. Yeah. No one's good at tuning databases. Great. Step up and take care of it. Get in there. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah. I've done that a few times. <clears throat> he has. He has. <laughs> currently one of my roles. You should also look for creative ideas that others are not doing or something that you can do to do things like improve processes. How can you improve the process or the team? Uh, is a really good example of this. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is something uh for example, I started doing Friday fundamentals. Just going over basics, very fundamental topics every Friday. And it's just like a little blurb each Friday. 
And just something like that, something simple, and you don't even have to know a lot to do it because a lot of times I look up a video or a blog post and post that with a little like, here's what it's talking about kind of thing. That sets you aside as a leader. It's like just that little bit of action, that little, little step right there. Just something a little different, a little creative that helps everyone else. It's going to set you apart. Even if like, even amongst your peers, you're going to be seen as a, as a leader for just taking that little bit of action. I do something a little bit similar. I don't do it every day, but uh, I like to post in our developer group like a, a tip of the day, even if it's just some obscure like uh, you know keyboard shortcut in the IDE mm-hmm. or something I discovered that day I found useful. I'm always uh, trying to share those little things. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's that's it exactly, man. So take time to plan out your ideas. Give yourself time in your schedule for planning and creativity. The best planned idea, even if it's not the best idea, wins the meeting. If you see a problem, come up with a solution before presenting the problem. Yeah, I mean, it's, we're kind of repeating ourselves a little bit here, but these are some very important concepts to, to get across because they apply in so many different areas. Coming up with that solution is being active and thinking critically. Respond to what your lead or manager views as important. To resist passivity, look for what your leaders want and be able to anticipate their needs. This is very important. And it's, it's also very important to uh, know what they actually want versus what they say. Yes. <laughs> because you'll have managers that go, I want this code to be bug free, but then they rush fixes through. Mm-hmm. Um, so deliverability speed is, is what's important. I want this to be bug free, but please don't spend any time writing your unit test. I, I've right. never had, thankfully, I've never actually had anyone tell me that. <laughs> I have. Uh, <laughs> uh, you could yeah. replace the word leader or manager here with customer as well. It that's true. Be perfectly that is very true. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. But if you've anticipated their needs before they even know that they need something, and they're, and they're like, oh, I need to, and I'm like, here it is. Like, you talk about a powerful position. That, that's a winner. So guys, leading by influence starts with you and leading yourself. If you don't lead yourself well, then none of the rest really even matters. When you start to develop the discipline of self-leadership, people begin to take notice. The other three work in combination once this process begins. Choosing to be positive, thinking critically, and being active all extends the self-leadership beyond just our own lives and into the world around us to lead by influence. That pretty much wraps it up before we close everything out. Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, you know, we talked about uh, how important it is to be able to kind of suss out what people's motivations are and what they need. I mean, that's true of management. That's true of your coworkers. It's you know true of customers. And how tricky it is to try to do that based on what they say, right? Like you can figure things out based on what they do. And that's about all there is. One thing I think a lot of people kind of forget when they're in a complex work environment is actually taking notes on those kind of things, right? Like if you're like, hey, this topic you know, makes this person absolutely twist off. Maybe you need to write that down somewhere or you know, kind of keep note of it so that three years from now, you know, after they've changed departments and they've gotten promoted a couple of times and you're in a different position, you don't do it again. One of the scariest things about getting into management is you always are in a position to really, really screw up. And your screw ups can affect not only you, but the people that you are trying to you know, shepherd, essentially. And so if you have, you know, if, if you've been observing your coworkers for a while and, and thinking about, okay, they did this. What's the best reason they would have for doing this? What's the worst reason they would have for doing this? And actually kind of getting those notes down somewhere, it will serve you well over the long term because you will not feel like you're likely to screw up, which will make you bolder. Now, you're, you're not all that likely to actually screw up, but the problem is, is overcoming your feeling of inadequacy and your likelihood of making a mistake. So uh, take good notes, pay attention to why people do things, and track that for yourself obviously you don't track that in a notebook you leave on your desk and that's pretty much all i got Standby for Titanfall. if you have a question or comment please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com 
Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash completedeveloperpodcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod, like our page on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.